Hello and welcome to Hosanna. I'm Pastor Jen Alexander and please hear me say, we believe the Lord led you here to help you grow in faith and look a little more like Jesus. After today's message, we encourage you to download the Hosanna app for more opportunities to connect and grow. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ryan Alexander and I serve as the lead pastor here and it is so, so, so good to be with all of you at all four of our campuses. Does anyone agree with me? Is it good to be together uh, worshiping in the Lord's house? Man, it just feels good. You don't even realize how much you need it until you get here. And uh, I also wanna welcome all of you who are joining us live or later on online. You know, as I step into this message today, I have a couple of things on my heart. Uh, first of all, as we just watched that video, I am so grateful uh, to be partnering with people and ministries like Pastor Julio and the ministry that he's doing in Haiti. It's so, so important. Desperate times there right now. And um, so I wanna let you know that next week we're gonna be kicking off our Thanksgiving offering. All of it's gonna go outside of Hosanna. A big chunk of it is gonna go to Pastor Julio and his ministry in Haiti. So get ready to dig deep and give big uh, to the great need in Haiti and beyond. The second thing on my heart is something that is um, happening even now, a contest that is fairly heated and unresolved. We know which side is going to win. I'm talking about the football game playing out between my Seattle Seahawks and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right now, actually, okay? They're playing in Germany. I'm recording it, um, and, but I'm here with you. That's how much I love you, okay? But I am recording it, so don't tell me the score or you will be excommunicated from the church, okay? I'll watch that later. But actually, the midterm elections, right? And, and we have uh, people who vote, vote on both sides of the aisle here at Hosanna. We do. Uh, but whichever uh, aisle, side of the aisle you vote from, uh, I'm just so proud of you for rising above those smaller stories of political rhetoric and politicized Christianity, smaller stories. You are rising above and living a bigger story. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And, and you're showing wisdom. Yeah, we can clap for Jesus, but I'm clapping for you, Hosanna, because you're living with real wisdom in all of this. We're not getting sucked into the smaller stories. You're living with real wisdom, like Jen talked about last week, that real wisdom, wisdom from above, is peacemaking, and it's gentle, and it's full of mercy, and it's pure. And so, Hosanna, you're looking more and more like Jesus. Keep going, keep going. We are in the bigger story journey, going through the Bible from beginning to end, mega theme by mega theme. And the mega theme we're in right now is wisdom, wisdom. And the specific topic that we're going to be covering in this area of wisdom, this mega theme of wisdom, is one that's all over the Bible. You find it throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament. Jesus talks about this topic all the time. In fact, there's only one topic that Jesus talks about more than the one we're going to be talking about today. He talks about the kingdom of God more than anything else, but then secondly, this topic. And we talk about this topic a lot at Hosanna too. Here's why. This topic, and whether we live with wisdom or not in this area, can cause us to live smaller stories, or if we live with wisdom in this area, we can live the bigger story. And the topic we're gonna be covering today is wisdom with money. Wisdom with money. And, and whether we live with wisdom or not when it comes to money, it can make all the difference between living a bigger story or 
living in such a way that our lives start to break down. I'll, I'll uh, use an example from my own life. You know what this is? It's furnace filter, right? They, whoever they are, recommend that you change these once every three to four months, okay? Now, I'm pretty frugal, my wife would say. That's the understatement of the year. And so I tried to stretch, I tried to stretch it out to like six months and nine months, a year, all right? Save 40 bucks. Well, uh, routine inspection, annual inspection, uh, turns out that trying to save 40 bucks a year wasn't, uh, wasn't the wisest thing to do. We had to replace the whole thing for thousands of dollars. So trying to save 40 bucks led to thousands of dollars. It wasn't just a recommendation. It was wisdom that you changed this thing. I'm just telling you because I love you. I'm your pastor, okay? That we can think that we're living with wisdom when it comes to money, but actually uh, we're living in such a way that our lives may start to break down. See, wisdom with money is, isn't a matter of the head. We think it is. It's not a matter of what you know or how smart you are. Wisdom when it comes to money isn't a matter of your hands, you know, what you do, how hard you work. Wisdom when it comes to money is a matter of the heart. In order to live wisely with money, we need to have a heart change or a filter change, if you will, and recognize that in this area of our lives, in all areas of our life, but in this area of our life, our lives can start to get kind of dirty. Our hearts can get kind of dirty. And, and when that happens, our lives start to break down. So because wisdom with money is a matter of the heart, I want to invite you to put your hand on your heart and pray with me as we step into the rest of this message. Put your hand on your heart. Lord, open our hearts. Make our hearts tender, sensitive. Soften our hearts. Make our hearts right. Jesus, you make it clear. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. You also say we can't serve two masters, both you and money. Give us wisdom. Give us hearts like yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Open your Bibles to James chapter five, verse one. James, we've been in James throughout this whole mega theme series, is gonna show us what money without wisdom looks like. And I'm gonna warn you, it's not pretty. It's kind of like a dirty furnace filter. Verse one, look here, you rich people. Now, let's just stop there for a second. <laughs> Looky here, you rich people. Now, some of you are starting to check out. Say, okay, well, this isn't about me because, you know, I, it's about other people. I know who rich people are, and I'm not one of them. <laughs> Have you ever wondered how rich am I compared to the rest of the people in the world? I came across some statistics recently that if your household makes 75000 or more, you are among the top 5% most wealthy people in the world. In the world. If your household makes over 150000 or more, you're in the top 1%. And even for all of us here in the United States, if, if you're able to put a roof over your head, have food on your table, drive a car, compared to the rest of the world, you are among the rich people. And and by the way, I, I was looking up those stats. It said that the more kids you have, the less wealthy you are compared to the rest of the world, as if we needed someone to tell us that, right, parents? <laughs> so James is talking to most of us here, right? Look here, you rich people. Weep and, and groan with anguish because of all the terrible trouble ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. 
Your gold and silver have become worthless. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This treasure you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the day of judgment. And you thought Halloween was over, right? I mean, this imagery is pretty stark. And, and it reminds you of like Dante's Inferno or something. Or you look at me like, what's that? You were supposed to read in high school, okay? Or, or how about the parable that Jesus tells about the rich man and a poor man named Lazarus? rich man isn't named, which I think is interesting and noteworthy. But Lazarus was a poor man, and he suffered in this life. Jesus tells a story, but he's comforted in the next. The rich man was rich, comfortable in this life, but has the opposite experience in the next. And, and then James says, what you have now, what you prioritize now, what you pursue now, what you find comfort in now, will somehow have the opposite effect later on. In fact, it'll be used as evidence against you, James says. Evidence of pride, greed, self-reliance, and lack of compassion for the poor and needy, which is where he goes next in verse four. Verse four says, for listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Not pretty. So what is James saying here? Well, the first three verses kind of describe what it's like to live unwisely with stuff. What the outcome of, of living unwisely with stuff is. Verses four through six describe what it looks like to live unwisely when it comes to others, particularly those who have less than we do. And, and what comforts us now, what we rely on now, what we prioritize now will somehow play out differently in our future reality. But I don't think it's just about our future reality. I think it also affects our current reality. That when we are living unwisely with money, it starts to affect us in such a way that our hearts look like that Halloween scene in James 5, 1 through 6. Our hearts start to look like that. Our hearts start to get all clogged up and dirty and the filter of our hearts start to look like this, even now. When we're living unwisely with money, when it comes to stuff, when it comes to other people, those who are need, needy, and have less than we do. But that's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to have those kinds of hearts. He, he wants something different for us. And by the way, when we talk about money here at Hosanna, it's always, always, always about what we want for you, not what we want from you. We may talk about what we want for others, like you know, Pastor Julio and ministries in Haiti, people in Haiti. But when it comes to our hearts and what Money can do it to our hearts. It is what we want for you. As your pastor, would you hear that? It's about what I want for you. And what God wants for you, what I want for you, is real wisdom. Real wisdom when it comes to money. And a pure heart. When I was in Israel earlier this fall, we visited Nazareth Village. And Nazareth Village is an authentic replica of what a village would have looked like in Jesus' time. And one of the artifacts we came across was 
an olive press, an authentic olive press. We have a picture of that olive press. And the guide who was showing us around this village, he explained this. I didn't know this. That an olive is pressed multiple times to get oil. The first time an olive is pressed, it produces the best oil, the finest oil. And that oil is given to the temple or the tabernacle, the local house of worship. The second press is the oil, produces the oil that's used to make food. And then the third press produces oil that is used in lamps, to burn in lamps. And as the guide was explaining that, I had one of those moments, it was just a moment of revelation where God was saying, that's what wisdom when it comes to money and, and giving looks like. It looks like that progression of those three presses, that's wisdom. That's the progression toward a pure heart. A life that looks less and less like what James describes in chapter five. And so for the rest of this message, I wanna share with you what I'm calling the wisdom of the olive press. The wisdom of the olive press. The first press is about tithe giving. The oil that's pressed out first is the purest and the finest. It's the best. This is, this is consistent with the clear teaching we get throughout God's word about giving, about giving our first fruits, about bringing that first 10% of everything that, that the Lord has provided for us and everything we have, he's provided for us. But bringing that first 10% back to our local house of worship. The, the verse that describes this idea of the tithe in Malachi 3.10 says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for, for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. And the only place in scripture where God says, put me to the test, try this. A couple of verses before this in Malachi, God says, for the people who weren't bringing their tithes, they were cheating him. They were robbing him of what's rightfully his. I pointed this out a few years ago. Someone emailed me and said, okay, that's all I need to know. I don't want to rob God of what's rightfully his. That's all I need to hear. My grandpa Ralph, some of you heard me share this before. I've been tithing since I was 18 years old, and my grandpa Ralph taught me. He said, Ryan, that first 10%, it's not even yours. It just goes right through your bank account into God's storehouse. Some people, when they talk about making this step of faith and trust into tithing, they said, I went from tipping God to tithing. What do you do when you're tipping? You, you give last. You give based on how you feel the service was, what's left over. When you tithe, you give first. You give that best, the first part, the finest oil. Hear this, if, if you wanna live wisely with money, and I'm saying this as a pastor who loves you, this is the first and most important step, tithing. Because you're saying, I'm trusting, trusting God to, to do what he says he's gonna do, and I'm gonna trust him with my life. I'm gonna trust him with everything. We can't even get to the next phases of giving and generosity until we get to the, this step. In fact, until we get to this step, this first press, Everything that we call generosity is actually robbing God of what's his. This is, this first 10% is his. 
I know, it's not, not an easy step. In fact, the first press, I would say, is the toughest. Think about an olive that's being pressed and crushed for the first time. It's tight, it has, skin hasn't been broken yet. It's the toughest, even most painful. Tithing, that step of tithing can feel like that, but once you do, once you experience the oil that comes out and the blessings that flow out, it's like, never look back. Some of you are already doing this. You're living this way and you know what Malachi is talking about, those blessings that get poured out into your life of all shapes and sizes. Some of you are ready to take this step. I'm nervous about it, but you're ready to take this step. You're ready to, to trust God to take him at his word, to take his invitation, to test him, to try him. And if that's you, I encourage you to do it. You will never regret trusting God more with your life and taking this first step, living wisely with money. In fact, we offer something here called a 90-day challenge. We come alongside you for 90 days. We pray for you. We encourage you. We provide resources for you. And, and that's also risk-free for 90 days because we are so confident that this step will be worth it for you and you'll never regret trusting God. It's what we want for you and all the info you need to start giving, taking that step or giving for the first time is on our website. You can download our app. That's the first press. The second press is almsgiving, almsgiving, giving to those who have less than us. This happens after we get to that first play, press. But then there's almsgiving. Now the second press of an olive produces oil that, that is used for food. And I think we need to think about that in our own lives too, that God has provided food for us. And he's also provided things that we can enjoy, the fruit of our labor. That's okay. If we're living with his wisdom and according to his you know, biblical guidance when it comes to, to giving and money. We, we teach at Hosanna, we teach in our household the 10-10-80 budgeting principle. Give at least 10%, save at least 10%, and then live off the rest. And I always tell people, my own sons and anyone who will listen, like, if you can't do that, then something may have to change. We teach this in our own household. Our boys have jars, 10-10-80. One of our boys brought in $100 to give the other day. He'd saved up in his tithing jar. Warned my heart. But there's more wisdom with this 80%. There are more opportunities to be generous within that 80%. The Old Testament, God's people are taught to leave a margin around the edges of their field where poor people can come and take what they need from the edges of, of, of their field. James, multiple times, talks about giving to those in need. In fact, in James 1, it says that caring for the orphans and widows, that is genuine faith, genuine religion. Jesus says to the religious leaders of his day, yeah, tithe, yes, but look for those additional opportunities to give to those in need. Now, all this talk about money and giving, and it's probably a good time to address, is this really the best time to be talking about money? I mean, we're living in some uncertain times and I would say it's the perfect time to be talking about it. It's a critical time to be talking about it because what happens during a time where the economy is maybe a little shaky 
as our hearts can start to gravitate toward fear and self-preservation, we can get inwardly focused. And I, I get it. We get it. Uh, we're feeling the effects of inflation in our house. We're having to tighten our belt a little bit in our budget. Jen's having to give up some stuff. <laughs> like flavored seltzer water. She gave up flavored seltzer water. I, I offered to give up buying new clothes. She said, Ryan, you haven't bought new clothes in 22 years. Like, what, <laughs> how's that gonna save us any money, right? So I'll find something. But we get it. I, but no, seriously, we were, I was out working on this message, walking around the lake near our house, and I ran into a couple from Hosanna, and they shared with me, not knowing what I was gonna be preaching on. They said, we're kind of making a forced choice between going on a trip to celebrate our 15-year wedding anniversary or pay for our daughter's dance trip. You know, people are having to make some of those decisions. And there's a tendency during times like this to pull back on our giving out of fear, out of uncertainty. But it isn't wise. Not if we want our hearts to be in the right place. Now, there's some that legitimately have to pull back based on job loss or, or lower income. That's what makes the tithe so great. It's a percentage of what we bring in. But hear this, wherever we are, God does not call us to alter our giving based on expectation, projection, or anticipation. Giving is based on his provision, what he's provided up to that point. Now, I'm certainly not above this tendency to pull back because I want to share with you. We have a, a a line item in our budget, our household budget, called almsgiving. For those who have less than us, whatever that is, however much that is. And uh, I, I first need to say that we um, will never, we'll never pull back on our tithing. We just won't. We just know <laughs> how important that is. And, and this church will never pull back on its tithing. We, we just won't. Right, well, <laughs> I always tell people, we'll move. Our family will move before we stop tithing. Our, our church will start selling buildings before we start, stop giving that money outside of us. But this alms line in our personal budget, the edges around our field, over the last year as inflation and some unexpected um, expenses came up, I started to hold back on giving that alms money to people who need it more than us. I, I, I was thinking, well, I want to wait and see how things go. You know, we might need this. Well, here's how, here's how it went. My heart started to get all clogged up. It started to look like that Halloween scene from James 5. It started to look like this dirty, dirty furnace filter. I had angst and stress and was grumpy. Just asked my family. <laughs> And long story short, you know, I, I even got into our budget. I use this budgeting software called Money Matters 2000, which requires Windows XP. I'm not recommending it because it's really old. <laughs> but I got in there and changed that alms line. Ah, oh, my heart. Anyway, the Lord convicted me. He's like, no, I've told you to give that money away. I wrote a check gave it to someone who needed it more than we did. And I'm not kidding, within days, we had three positive you know, financial changes in our personal finance of varying sizes. I'm not, I'm not saying 
that the blessings are always financial when we're obedient and faithful what God's called us to do. But I think in this case, God was making it very clear to me, Ryan, don't play games with me. Do you trust me or not? Do you trust me or not? And when I stepped out and trusted him, it was very clear. But you know, the, the biggest blessing of all was my heart being made right as I stepped out in obedience and gave that money to people who needed it more. There are a couple of Proverbs that speak to, there are lots of Proverbs. The Proverbs book of wisdom and money is all over because it's a major theme and it's where if we're not living with wisdom, with money, things can break down. Proverbs 28, 27, whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. Proverbs eleven twenty five: the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. The second press, alms. The third press produces oil used for lamps. Lamps that will stay lit. Even after people fall asleep, the lamps would stay lit. And so for us, this third press represents legacy giving. That we would live our lives and give in such a way that our lives would stay lit long beyond our lifetimes. Legacy giving. Some of you are already thinking this way. State giving, endowment giving. We have opportunities like this at Hosanna. Check them out on our webpage. Some of you have given significant game-changing gifts over the years. Tithing off sale of business or, or an inheritance or sale of land. You, you've given in such a way that's made a huge difference in our, our annual giving and our annual ministry impact. And some may be getting stirred up to do that. I heard a stat recently that one out of 100 people can give a contribution that equals the church's budget for the year. I don't know if that's true or not, but if that's true at all of our campuses, would you please stand if that's true of you? Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, it may, we may need some of that kind of giving this year. Some of my favorite stories from the early days of COVID were people who stepped up and, and gave more and doubled down to fill the gap for those who weren't gonna be able to give as much. So inspiring. Legacy giving isn't always about giving large sums of money. For some it is, but for all of us, it's understanding this wisdom in James 1, 9 through 11. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. Verse 10, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. See, legacy giving comes from knowing that all we have is God and none of it's going with us. All we have is from God and none of it's going with us. Legacy giving is based on this question, how do we live and give in such a way that our lives keep burning brightly long after we're gone? Melinda and Rod Wooten are wonderful examples of legacy givers. They're relatively new to Hosanna. They got married a few years ago. Look at that adorable young couple there. They have amazing stories, which I'd love for you to hear in their entirety sometime, but on topic, listen to a few words they shared. Melinda said this, giving my life to Christ at age 15, I began to tithe on all monies bless, God blessed me with, no matter how large or small. I learned early, he opens up windows and pours his blessings out on you. I, I learned to keep casting my cares on him and that he will never leave me or forsake me. I can trust him. At the age of 31, God gave me my first full-time business. I often found myself telling God, you can trust me. I like telling God that he could trust me. I felt like we were partners. 
It made me feel very trustworthy and I found joy in that. Wisdom has taught me if I'm going to live and work for God, the least I can do is be obedient to his request for his tithes and offerings and live holy. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I currently serve as a licensed financial professional helping as people manage their finances wisely. My most important advice to people today is to not be so in love with your money that you cannot make God your first love. That is where your abundant blessings flow from God being your first love. And Rod, after sharing that, faith has been the foundation of his life and that Melinda has been, been his biggest blessing. Now there's a wise man. He said, he said this, I dream of being able to one day write a check to the kingdom through the church for at least $100,000. That's a heart for legacy giving. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. So grateful for their example. You know what? That's where God wants all of us to be, to get to that place of legacy giving, that third press. But we have to start where we are whoever press we're at. And we are in a press. One of those three. How does God want you to grow in wisdom? How is he pressing you? It doesn't feel good to get pressed all the time. It isn't easy. Right? There's wrestling and there's struggle and there's sacrifice. But the oil it produces in our lives is so, so good for us and through us. And all of that, I mean, think about it, what's the alternative? And all of that doesn't get pressed, which is gonna rot and spoil, get diseased, look like this furnace filter. But the biggest tragedy of all is when an olive falls to the ground and it never gets pressed, the oil inside of it gets wasted. It never gets poured out. That's not what God wants for you. He has a different plan or outcome for you based on what he's done for you. The first week of the series, we talked about how God is a generous God, James says. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. In other words, everything. He gave everything to you before you gave one thing, before you did one thing. And this Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what Gethsemane means? Olive press, where he prayed three times, pressed three times. Take this from me, take this press from me, take this. But at the end he said, God, not my will, but thy will be done. And then he went to the cross where he was pressed and crushed for you and for me so that the best oil of all could be poured out through his sacrifice and his love, the oil of grace and forgiveness and mercy, everlasting life, love, unending love was poured out for you in his pressing and his sacrifice, his crushing. And until we know that, until we know that at deeper and deeper levels, what God has done for us, this whole idea of giving being pressed, pouring out oil, really doesn't resonate. But hear it. He's been pressed and crushed for you. He's given all for you before you give a thing. And when we know that and we live from that place, that place of knowing what he has done for us, 
then the wisdom starts to flow. The oil starts to flow. I'm gonna pray that God would help each of us to grow in wisdom because it's the difference between living the bigger story or a much smaller story. Let's pray. Jesus, first of all, I pray that there would be no shame. Your mercy, your grace is poured out before we do a thing, before we give a thing. What you've done for us, what you've given to us is a free gift. You are a generous God. Thank you for being so generous to us. Jesus, thank you for showing us what it looks like to, to be pressed and to give and to have oil produced in our lives, through our lives, for our lives. Thank you for showing us what true wisdom looks like. And then we pray, Lord, press us. Press me. I want my heart to be made pure. Press our hearts that, that, that our lives would pour out the best oil for you and for others and that our lives would keep on burning long after we're here. Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. And everyone said, amen.